This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. So for listeners out there who did not listen to the last episode... Tisk tisk, first mm-hmm. of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to get you up to speed, in our last episode, we discussed men and height, and especially these host of studies about how tall men seem to have advantages health-wise, they seem to make more money, they seem to be more sexually attractive. I mean, just good, good, good yeah. across the board. For, good to be a tall man. Yes, yeah, it seems very good to be a tall man. And as promised, today we're going to talk about women and height. Because we've discovered that the story is much different than it was for the men. Yeah, it's not all it's cut out to be, mm-hmm. to be a tall woman, unfortunately. No. And let's also remind folks that, uh, you know, I mean, Caroline, have a, have a little sensitivity today because I am a tall woman. Absolutely. I'm, I'm five feet, nine inches, and I'm proud of every inch. Yeah. Or centimeter for our metric listeners. Most of the world. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, there's some bad news. Let's start. Let's get the bad news over with. All right. Well, in July, researchers at Oxford University broke the news uh, to Kristen. Yeah, just to me. <laughs> to Kristen, uh, that actually tall ladies are at a greater risk of developing cancer. Yes, uh, and this was a study result that was circulated in a lot of mainstream media. So you might have already seen something about this and. Just to boil it down to you, for you, a woman's chance of developing cancer rose, according to the study, and this is a study, it's called the Million Woman Study, and um, it boiled, in this particular instance, boiled down to 97,000 women who had developed cancer, um, and the risk of developing cancer rose by 16% for every extra 10 centimeters or 4 inches in height. Yeah. And it and it freaked me out, Caroline, in particular because uh it focused on women from five feet tall to five foot nine inches tall. So oh. in this study I'm in the the oh. highest oh. highest risk group. Oh, I am not. I know. At all. Not even close. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, they actually, researchers focused on 17 types of cancer, and the risk increase was statistically significant for 10 of them, mm-hmm. uh, including breast, ovary, and large bowel cancer. And this is not the first study, actually, to correlate cancer and being tall. And some researchers think that it might have something to do with a protein called IGF-1. Right. It's called insulin-like growth factor 1. 
And it has a lot of effect uh, on your childhood growth, not so much on adult growth. Mm-hmm. But some researchers think that it could predispose you to cancer later on if you have more of it, a higher concentration of it circulating in your blood. Right. And the main purpose of IGF-1 is to stimulate growth in muscle cells, kidneys, bones, liver, lungs, nerves. It kind of makes, makes you get big and strong as you're a child. Yeah, in a study from George Davy Smith, um, he says that more evidence has been found in recent years that IGF-1 plays a role in cancer. Uh, something else that's, uh, that's related to that is calorie intake. Because the higher overall calorie intake, uh, earlier in life, mm-hmm. you know, if you're stuffing your face full of Cheetos, like I did. <laughs> and it didn't make me grow! <laughs> Actually, probably why I'm short. Um, but no, the, the higher the cal- caloric intake earlier in life could actually raise the cancer risk. And they think it has something to do with um, more calories, more energy, boosting IGF, that kind of thing. Right. Well, it also makes sense that, okay, say I am um, I was a tall child and probably had a higher concentration of IGF-1 that was stimulating all of that growth. I was always the tallest kid um, before I started homeschooling. Always the tallest <laughs> kid in my class. And probably because of all of that growth, I had a pretty high caloric intake compared to my shorter classmates. So they're thinking that maybe there's a link between um, between all of that that calorie intake because there have been other studies on calorie intake and cancer development down the road that says that, you know, lower calorie diets makes you healthier down the road. For instance, if we look at the Okinawans in mm-hmm. Japan, the Okinawans have the greatest longevity on the planet and they're also very short. For instance, uh, the average height of an 87-year-old man in Okinawa would be four foot nine inches. Pretty short. Oh, yeah. And they also have a very healthy, low-calorie diet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are all these different pieces to this height cancer puzzle that seems to affect women more than men. So it might be something to do with calorie restriction, interacting with IGF-1, which stimulates growth. Doctors are still working it out. Yeah, some of the other uh, longest living people, in addition to the Japanese, were uh, Chinese people and Greeks. And all of them are shorter and weigh less than the average Northern European or Northern American. But at the same time, when it comes to women and health, being shorter is not always a positive indicator of health. Because, as NPR reported recently, the average height of women in 14 African countries has actually shrunk, which is suggesting not necessarily that the adults aren't as healthy, but that childhood living conditions have not improved despite um, improvement in infant mortality rates. Because when we talk about where our height comes from, around 60 to 80 percent of it comes from our genes, but the rest of it comes from environmental factors, especially childhood nutrition. Right. Childhood diseases also. Um, yeah. In this uh, study, where they looked at just all over the world. In 19 countries, women actually gained height, and in 21, they stayed the same. Um, and researchers found that changes in height were associated with income, actually. Affluent women grew taller, mm-hmm. I guess, because they have more access to health care, better nutrition. Right. All of those things. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how there's uh, there are these positive and negative correlations with women and height in particular. But in terms of in the in the U.S. now, we're shifting to a Western focus. Culturally, height and women hasn't been a pretty story. Oh, 
Tell me about it. Well, I had never heard about this before until I started researching on, on tall women for this episode. And 50 years ago, Caroline. It's not that long ago. Not that long ago at all. In Europe and in the United States, pediatric endocrinologists used to treat tall girls for their height because being like it was a health issue. Yeah. Well, it was a stigmatizing thing. If you were an extremely tall woman, uh, you were not as socially desirable. You're kind of an oddball who just, just she can find a basketball player. <laughs> I know, but back, uh, you know, during that time, it, you know, women weren't being raised to be basketball players. They were supposed to be housewives. True. Uh, you know, they needed to, to attract a, a mate so that she could get married and cook meals and have babies and have do short babies. all that. One example that Hannah Eco points out in Bitch Magazine when she's talking about this tall female stereotype is Julia Child. If you've ever seen Julia mm-hmm. and Julia, there's a great scene, um, between Meryl Streep and Jane Lynch, one of my favorite. I love actors. Um, and they're, you know, they're both very tall women and they're just kind of talking about how they, uh, were sort of ostracized growing up because they were so tall. But going back to these, these endocrinologists, they essentially gave these tall girls estrogen pills that they would take every day because estrogen would stunt their growth. Because like we talked about in the male height episode, the stuff that makes guys so tall is testosterone. Right. But thankfully, with the advent of things like institutional review boards and improvement <laughs> in ethics, medical morals, yes, medical ethics, that practice um, went away, thankfully. But the tall female stereotype has stuck around, I'd say. I'm not, at 5'9", I'm not a super tall woman. I don't feel, yeah. unless I had put on some some stilettos. I don't feel, I rarely feel awkwardly tall. Right. Just when I'm standing next to you. Yes. <laughs> when you're in flats and I'm in heels, it is quite a sight to see. But, I mean, being tall isn't all bad. There, there, there was no. some evidence on OkCupid that tall women still can, can find a mate, right? Oh, absolutely. There is... Uh, <laughs> Yes, speaking from experience, tall women can date Good for success- you. successfully. Um, but we talked about this uh, OkCupid Trends blog post on height and how it related to the number of sex partners that people related and also how attractive they were on the site. And we talked about the male portion of it last time and about how a lot of guys lie about being um, taller than they really are. And for women, as you can imagine, the story is a little bit different. It's not so much that women are lying about their height, but uh, a 5'4 woman on OkCupid gets 60 more contacts each year than a six-footer. Six-footer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and nevertheless, on OkCupid, women who are 5'10 reported the highest number of sexual partners. Hey. But at the same time, the blog post did make a somewhat snarky aside saying, uh, "Yeah, it was a little snarky." They're like, "Well, maybe you know they they have all these sexual partners because they're just desperate and taking whatever they can get, whereas the shorties can just pick and choose." Yeah, and to that I say, um, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but let's go away from OkCupid a little bit and talk about evolutionary biology because when you go into Google. <laughs> Uh, the question that comes up for men is, are taller men more attractive? And yeah. for women, 
are shorter women more attractive? I know. And evolutionary biology might say, yeah. Yeah. They actually, researchers think that the height differences are going to stick around because men, tall men seem to go for short women. Mm-hmm. Now, in the last episode, we also referenced a study of 10,000 people born in the UK in a single week in March 1958. And researchers then went back and examined their life outcomes. And one of the findings was that tall men were less likely to be child and uh, childless and single in adulthood. And on the flip side, shorter women seemed to be the more sexually attractive among females. And Dr. Nettle, who was one of the main researchers, said that maybe shorter women have a greater reproductive success because uh, their shortness might signal more fertility. Right. Because tall women, their height is perhaps a signal that they had later a later onset of puberty. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, in the new scientist, Daniel Nettle, same guy, says he's not really sure why the shorter women, like why men might prefer shorter women, because he says, quote, there's no evidence that shorter women conceive more quickly or are more fertile in a contemporary population. Right. So Nettle is talking about that um, even though previous studies have shown that smaller women are more, are more likely to die in childbirth, um, people are still drawn to evolutionary cues. Right. And that shortness might be some kind of fertility cue, even though, like you said, today there's not the the major fertility difference based on height. Right. And I actually read in one study that now that women have more access to cesarean sections, Mm -hmm. that more tall babies are being born and more small women are actually surviving childbirth. Really? So, yeah, no, no high disparity going away anytime soon. Right. Yeah. They, they really don't expect that to ever change. Um, but if we look at just what people find attractive, um, if they're asked to rate the attractiveness of one woman compared to another woman based on height, here's one finding from Brunel University. They found that shorter, slimmer females with long, slender legs a curvy figure and large breasts. Well, I'm the most attractive. (laughs) Sure. Sure. And give me Brad Pitt and Clive Owen together. Throw a little (laughs) dash of Ryan Reynolds in there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, but but it seems like though from that, maybe, uh, the ideal woman is, is on the middle of the spectrum. You know, she's got the long lady's legs and the shorter woman's, Torso. Well, now wait a second. No, that is not ideal. That is actually my body type. Okay, I am five foot two. I have. I was told by a guy at one of those like wilderness outfitter places I needed a a pack, a Uh big pack, and he gets me a small one and he puts it on me and he's looking at me and he's like, "This is weird. Why isn't it fitting you right?" And he's kind of like adjusting it and shaking the pack so that it fits me better. He goes, "Oh, I know what it is." Said, "What?" He said, "Oh, well, for your height." You have really long legs, but a really short torso. Oh, so that's great. So- You're ideal, Caroline. <laughs> well, for having babies, maybe, but not for wearing a pack. No, but that this is what, but they were asked to, this is based on, um, these 3D optical scans and people, volunteers assessing how attractive the bodies of, uh, the opposite sex were. Mm. And I mean, and that's, that's it. This isn't about having babies or fertility. 
And a similar study of attractiveness using these body scans. People like to make, to make body scans and, mm-hmm. uh, have other, other folks rate the attractiveness. This involved Australian and Hong Kong men and women rating the attractiveness of body scans of Chinese women. And they did that because they wanted to, to try to eliminate, they wanted to control for any type of cultural bias for a specific height. And in that study, they found that scans of taller women who had longer arms were also rated highly. But in this one, leg size, unlike the the Brunel University study that favored the long, slender legs, leg size did not contribute significantly to the ratings. Hmm. So... Who knows? <laughs> as long as you have slender arms. Slender arms. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Michelle Obama arms. Oh, God. Maybe that's yeah. why we're so obsessed with Michelle Obama's arms, because that's really the, the one. physical ideal. Yeah, the one cultural strand throughout yeah. She and her, uh, her cardigans. I love her cardigans. <laughs> um, but one question that was burning in my brain mm-hmm. was... Uh, evolutionary biology is telling us, you know, shortness in female signals fertility, which might signal heightened sexual attraction, at least among tall men. They seem to prefer shorter women. Mm-hmm. Uh, these other, these body scan studies seem to say that, uh, women, uh, people prefer the, the hourglass, very Marilyn Monroe-esque shape. Mm-hmm. But what about the tall, rail thin model conundrum. You mean those walk-in clothes hangers? Yes. It seems like that's kind of in, in Western culture, at least that is held up as some kind of, um, ideal physique for women. Yeah. Well, there's actually a Ford models blog on MySpace. Yeah. Someone is still on MySpace. <laughs> um, and, and there's basically saying that women are expected to be walking hangers. I didn't just pull that out of thin air. Um, but that body type helps the clothes to be the focus. Mm-hmm. You're not distracted by their feminine wiles. You know, you're looking at the clothes and they're just hanging kind of straight and flat. So that's it. So, so from what I'm getting for all of this, wh- whereas in the last podcast, we were able to establish from many studies that tall men seem to have a lot of luck in yeah. terms of sexual attraction, success, health, height, all that. Women, it's all over the place. We can't figure out whether, you know, there's the, the tall model ideal, there's the Marilyn Monroe kind of curvaceous, uh, Beyonce, Jennifer Lopez, like I'm my, I'm making hourglass, hourglass gestures with my gesticulations with my hands for those Ooh. of you not in the, in the, <laughs> the studio right now. Uh, and we, we have people liking long arms, legs, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you like legs, maybe you don't. Yeah, the only thing that we can really determine from all of this is that tall women might be at a greater risk for developing cancer. Yeah. So I don't know why. Why I, I'm just I'm now curious to know why that is. Why there isn't a more um, a more succinct answer to the the at least for the sexual attractiveness part. I assume that that evolutionary biologists would be like, oh yeah, it's it's. Shorts where yeah, it's they at. didn't seem to have a definite answer as to why men men prefer short women or women short women are perceived as more fertile. Yeah, or if or if short women even are more preferable. So I don't know. Maybe the takeaway is tall men have all the luck and just women awesome. You know, you're <laughs> great at any awesome. at any height, any yeah. size, and and love your body the way it is because gals, um, we're attractive universally. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm going to make that my, my study conclusion. Yeah. So <laughs> with that, I'd like to open it up to listeners. Maybe you can help us 
solve this puzzle. Tall women out there, let us know your thoughts too, though. Um, is it, is it, is there something to this tall female stereotype? Has anyone ever tried to make you seem less tall? Have people told you to stop wearing high heels? Yeah. I do think it's interesting that if you look at pictures of Carla Bruni next to Sarkozy, Sarkozy, she is often in flats. She is, and she's still taller than him, though. I know, but that's probably why she's in flats. Anyway, write in if you have any thoughts on height, men, women, all of that. Our address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And speaking of which, I have an email here in response to our episode on male birth control. Is it happy? It's not that happy. Um, And I just, you know, I appreciate all of these perspectives because, you know, we're women talking about male birth control and uh, not not all the guys agreed with what we had to say. Okay, let's hear it. For instance, Brian wrote in really taking issue with the notion that men could not be relied upon to take say, an oral contraceptive like a lot of women take. He Mm -hmm. said, you insinuated several times that men might not be trustworthy to take a pill every day. Any evidence that men might be less trustworthy than women to take a pill is going going to be pretty flimsy. Men have to trust their wives slash girlfriends to take the pill now. And I'm sure you know they sometimes forget. True. And sometimes they even forget and don't tell their partner, whoops, we're having a baby. Nothing different if men are taking the pill. And there might be, and that there might be an outbreak of unexpected pregnancies or even STDs because of irresponsible men on birth control. This is exactly what men deal with now. When sex presents itself, whether a one night stand or during the course of a relationship, men have to decide how trustworthy the woman is. Again, nothing different if men are taking the pill. True. Practice safe sex. Indeed. Um, and we also have an email here from Elizabeth, well, Beth, as she goes by, with, um, a request I want to open up to other listeners as well. Right. Beth writes, One thing that crosses my mind during almost every episode is LGBT recognition. Many of the examples brought up in your podcast are about heterosexual relationships. I realize that this is probably because the studies you're citing are about heterosexual men and women, but it can feel a bit alienating at times. Maybe a special LGBT-focused podcast? Or try seeking out research that has been done that includes LGBT people. Yeah, and I wrote uh, Beth back and said, you are absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Um, As we bring up a lot of times in the podcast, uh, the focus of a lot of these relationship studies are on heterosexuals. And I just wanted to open this up to listeners. If there is an LGBT-related topic, narrow topic that you would like us to focus on, let us know, because we are more than happy to research that. It's not nothing intentional that yeah. we're that we're not talking about more LGBT LGBT issues. So, with all that said, again, our email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us over on Facebook, where we would love to see you. Leave a comment, like us, all that good stuff. And you can follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And then finally, during the week, you can read our blog. It's stuff mom never told you from howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated? 
at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism, you're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.